0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello Cage Rage fans, it's the first episode of Cage Rage and Nicolas Cage podcast with myself, Daryl Edge, as we journey into the complete and entire works of Nicholas. Cage. I just want to apologise from the off about any audio issues. Uh, this is a very humdrum ragtag operation that I have running here. But we'll get through it. We're going to have a good time. And that good time actually starts back in 1983. See what I did there? I did a link. Good, right? You're in capable hands. And to we go back to where it started in 1983 for Nicolas Cage with his first leading role? In the romantic drama. Valley Girl. By uh, Atlantic Releasing Corporation. Directed by Martha Coolidge. Written by Andrew Lane. And Wayne Crawford. It is a film of two outsiders coming together. Uh, to try and put aside their differences. Allegedly loosely related on Romeo and Juliet. Although there's not enough Deaths or Shakespearean language, for my liking. Um, so the film starts with the same way that any film in Hollywood should start, with a helicopter shot of Hollywood. The Hollywood sign, you know, the one, because uh, it makes it very clear that we're in Hollywood. Why wouldn't we be? This is the Valley Girl, the Valley Girls. Um, all of them... They seem to sound like that, yeah, like they've got a throat full of wasps, um, and then there's Nicolas Cage's character, Randy, who is it's weird to say i don't <laughs> i don't actually know because it at no point it explains who his character is, where he comes from, what he does other than he's different because he wears a material vest and a red shirt combo. He's not the preppy guy. Um, It's strange to see Nicolas Cage so young. It's honestly weird to see his face so smooth, like a smooth peanut, but uh, um, it's quite a downstated Nicolas Cage performance, probably because he was still finding his feet as an actor, I assume. Uh, Not a lot of Cage losing his shit moments although interestingly we get glimpses of them we get glimpses of what is to come 20 years later 20 years down the line, 30 years down the line Um and it was fascinating to see him slowly tapping into that potential that we all know he has like him toying with going Super Saiyan but he's not quite there yet, we've got to watch A hundred more episodes of him charging that spirit bomb before he unleashes it on cinema and Hollywood and history. It's very exciting. Um, So we've got the the perspective of the Hollywood Hills. We're going over all the hills. And we get to the girls. Julie and the girls. Um, Julie is our uh, main protagonist of... Of the Valley Girl ladies in this film. Now, we introduced her in the shopping mall. um, And they're discussing the boys. Of course they are. So, here's the dilemma from the off. Julie is in a bit of a conundrum. She's with Tommy. She's bored of Tommy. We're all bored of Tommy. Fuck Tommy. Tommy in this film looks like uh, an evil Will fort. Evil Will Forte, I'm not sure how you say his name. Uh, but if you see the Tim and Eric sketch of him going like, "He'll put these holes in my belts," uh, just imagine that, but without the mustache, more of a curtain haircut. Um, and that's basically Tommy. Now, she's more interested in Brad because she's bored of Tommy. Now, we don't, we we don't really see much more of Brad um after this apart from one scene later on the only reason i can establish that uh brad is a hunk in 1983 hollywood is because he has a perm if anyone can offer if anyone who was around in 1983 can offer some clarity on this that would be fantastic but apparently if you had a perm that immediately meant. You had a raging c- hard-on. You just had a throbbing hog. Everyone knew it. And that was the way to go. now I'm, I look at myself now. Thinking. How different your life could have been. If you had a nice little ginger perm. That would have been wonderful. Wouldn't it? But um, It's just another. Of the list of regrets. That I'm just going to have to add to my. Uh, to my life. But. Brad and Tommy will become quickly irrelevant as we skip, and you better believe our time mark this to six minutes and twenty seconds. Check out that beach chunk. It's Nicolas Cage running on the beach. Now, at this point is where I said to myself, "Right now, I'm fucking invested in this. We've got Cage on the beach." He's got this chest hair that looks like the Um, (laughs) Bat-Signal. It's just this weird sort of uh, star-shaped Bat-Signal on his chest as if to say, um, Don't worry, I won't get the role of the Joker, but that is who I'm largely going to be basing my career around for the next... 30-plus years. Um, It makes a few appearances, this chest hair. I'm kind of fascinated by it. uh, Because I can't grow chest hair. If you've seen me, I might as well have just drawn little lines with a biro pen. It's pathetic, if anything. Nicolas Cage, um, again, putting what fragile and little masculinity I have to shame. Uh, And I wasn't even born at this point. Now, Cage and Julie, you better believe... You better believe that they share a glance, right? Cage is our, is our underdog, he's our hero. He's the guy that we're supposed to be rooting for, allegedly. Um, it still seems quite strange um, that Nick Cage, of all people, was the one they cast as the the punk hero. You just imagine the meeting they had in, in the early 80s. It's like, who... Like, who are we going to have as our hot punk beach hero who's going to woo this valley girl? And then they thought, you know what? Nick Cage is the the teen heartthrob that we're going to pin all our hopes on in this? I'm sure. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm very happy that he was in this film because it's just another example of his range. Uh, But surely Johnny Depp would have been in the running at this stage. You would have thought. Um, and the poster for this um, does imply he's going to be a lot more punk than he actually is in the film. He's got sort of two bits of dyed, uh, stuck up fringe, a bit of pink, a bit of blue going on in there. Um, he doesn't have any of that in this. He wears a tie at some point. Um, so you've, you know he's edgy, right? Who wears a tie anymore in 2020? I don't. I'm in pyjamas recording this. Because I'm a... I'm a... I'm a, <laughs> a fucking loser. Um. Now, we've got the established that uh, Nick Cage and Julie like each other. I'm going to be slipping between Cage and Randy. Um, they're interchangeable. Nick Cage is the sum of his parts and his characters. Um... So, just putting that out there. Now, we get um, to sort of the party later on. This is where a few things take place. Nick Cage's friend, Fred. I've said that, like, this was an autobiography about Nicolas Cage, like he was actually there and wasn't acting. Uh, Randy's friend, Fred, has overheard the details of the party. He's passed it back to Randy. Randy's not interested. The Valley Girl scene, the Valley scene, that's not what he's into. But... Julie's going to be there, right? So you're going to be where Julie is. So they crash the party. Uh, they head up to uh, I believe Stacey's house, is hosting this. Um, and immediately, um, people don't want them to be there. But Julie does, because... Um, now, she's blown off Tommy at this point. She's not interested. She's approached Brad and his wonderful... Golden poem. Um and Brad is not interested. He doesn't want to know. Julie's made all this effort for you. She's said no to the most popular guy in the school. I'm assuming it's Valley High. I have no idea what the school is called. He don't really doesn't really bother with that. Why would you? It's not important. Um what I enjoyed about this scene is that a number of times the camera Uh, has a shot of two extras (laughs) this guy and a girl dancing in the background. And I think the girl uh, is supposed to go in for a kiss with the other extra, um, and then he absolutely palms her (laughs) off. He just avoids it. He just keeps avoiding it. He didn't want to be any part of it. And they got that shot. This couple gets a, a bit of screen time in this scene, to be honest. And um, the director decided, you know what? Well, that's close enough. We'll get that. I don't have time for this. Um, so I wonder what they're up to now. Do they still think? Oh yeah, I was. That was my. This was my breakout role, and I fucked it. I was supposed to be doing a kiss, and I went straight in for the cheek because I'd only met her five minutes before we started filming. That's the kind of gentleman I am. Um. It's so interesting watching extras sometimes just mouthing uh, there's a guy later on who somehow alerts Tommy and his cronies to Randy just by standing in front of them for about five seconds and then gesturing with his thumb and yet they all understand what he's on about. I wish I was an extra and I could just raise my eyebrows and be like (coughs) eh and yet all the characters would know exactly where I'm coming from just imagine eh if you're looking for tips to acting as an extra, then uh, just hit me up on Twitter. I'll be sure to help you out. Um, now, we also get the start here of a really odd and unnecessary subplot starring Julie's friend Susie and Susie's mother Beth, um, who both interesting look, uh, interestingly look exactly the same age. Um, there's something in the water in America that does not age people. Um, now, Julie and her friends are supposed to be 15 or 16 in this. They look early 20s. Uh, Susie's stepmom looks about 25, out a push. It was a different time in the 80s. It was a free time. I guess you just just married who you wanted, and that was the the end of it, and that's how all the resentment from the 90s to today started, I guess, by unhappy home lives. Um, now, Susie and her stepmother are both interested and weirdly competitive uh, to flirt with a guy named Skip, because of course that's his name. Of course that's a name that you've, you had in the 80s. That was it. no one batted an eyelid if you called someone Skip now. That's the opposite side of the same spectrum of naming someone Keith. You don't do it. Skips should remain as crisps, and I hope they'll both just fade away and be like, "What? Remember what? Remember Keith?" No, I don't remember any Keith. Even though Keith still works in the same office that you do, and he just slowly. Fades away like in Avengers in the same... Mr Stark, I don't feel so good. Fucking Keith. I should point out as well, Skip also has a perm. So, this seems to be a thing of in the background. If you're not Tommy, and you're not Randy, you're not the higher echelons of two different social spectrums, but you've got a perm, there is someone that will want to gobble you nuts. They just want to swirl them round like mouthwash. Other extras in the background did not have perms. And no one gave a shit. I think it's the mullet's making a comeback now. I think maybe we bring back the perm as well. Maybe that's the thing that needs to happen here. Now this is a plot as well that will... um, It will continue... Throughout the film. This film would have been about 20 minutes shorter. If this wasn't a thing. It didn't need to be a thing. And the more I think about Skip. Just trying to get his end away. With daughters and mothers. Because 1983 was a lawless time. Where where there was no God. Or higher power. Makes me remember. You just don't go around sleeping with mothers. Because you've got a perm. Skip absolute fucking skip. But whilst that's going on downstairs, Tommy, who is, and I'm air quoting, this is audio, you can't see that, he's um, real beat up about Julie leaving him. He um, takes advantage, I know that has too many connotations this day and age, but he's um, at least very persuasive to try and get into bed with uh, with Julie's friend, Lauren. Um they go as far as to expose breast. There's this actual tit in this, Nicolas Cage's first film, and you're in a eye full of nips. You know, that's a thing that happens. Wasn't expecting that. I thought we were gonna have to wait until the late nineties for some absolute cage tit. Uh, but it happens it happens now. Now Tommy is, um, you, you obviously know he's a bit of a douche. He's a bit of a douche. Um, that's probably the most 80s term I can use. They they also use descriptive terms like tubular, tubular, to describe cool people in this film. Um, let's bring Mac puns and tubular. That's all I'm saying. Now, Tommy, uh, he has a feel up. He has a few squeezes in there. Um, because that's classic Tommy. That's the kind of nonsense he's getting up to. And he plays the manipulation cards At this point, he uh, turns Lauren down. She's like, "Oh, I don't know about this. You're having a little girl, my nip nips." Does this mean that we're a thing now? Tommy's like, "Nah, mate. You're a terrible friend." Um, and he he just moses on out of there. Lauren's left with all of that. Uh, emotional <laughs> destruction to contend with. Um, but don't worry too much because this plot point never comes up again. You think there's going to be some internal distress between Lauren and Julie. He's going to go to some breaking up of the friendship later on. Spoiler, doesn't happen. Does not happen. Uh, so Tommy, for better or worse, he got away with it. He had a cup of the teacups I don't know what size they are, I don't know why I said that, I'm so sorry. He had a cup of the cups, he got away with it scot-free, this never comes back, and we all just carry on with our lives, because that's what you did. Um, Now, after this, Tommy, he sees Randy in the party, Randy with his friends Fred, Fred's getting nowhere, they're stuck out like sore thumbs amongst all the preppy kids. Uh, Tommy sees Randy and Julie talking there's definitely a connection here they're off to a good start Tommy doesn't like it this is where the extra of the thumb comes in he's like get a load of get a load of cage over there he's uh, he's after Julie me Julie, big Jules he wants Julie's Julie's and Tommy says nah mate um, they have a bit of a scrap we get some of our first cage action scenes that we're going to get he throws some punches in. Eventually, they get thrown out. Um, and this is where we get a little hint. Our first little whisper. a little... Mm, start a course banquet. Yes, sir, please. I'll have the bottle of some cage rage. Now, this is minor cage rage. This isn't the kind of... Big League stuff we're going to be talking about in a few weeks' time. Uh, Randy and Fred are driving down the highway. They pull over the car. Randy is livid about this. He knows there's a connection. He kicks the car. Fred's not happy about it. Um, Who would be happy about these bullies? We get to 20 minutes and 30 seconds. At this point, and I think this is very important not to skim over this, 20 minutes and 30 seconds, we get our first documented Nicolas Cage fuck you. I just want you to take a moment and drink that in. Our first documented Nicolas Cage fuck you... Um. Because he, he, and in his own words, he will not be told who he can and cannot score with. And this clocks it about. On the Cage Scale of Rage, the Cage Rage Scale, a 2.5. A generous 2.5. Um, but let me tell you, if I wasn't invested before, this is what you come for. This is where the fucking gold is. So... We're thinking, well, he's going to go back. He's going to... This is his chance to burst in. Tell Tommy, right, you you tit. You absolute tit. Julie, we're not finished here. This is where, in the words of the Spice Girls, two become one. um, Or if it's a Mexican operation, when two become one. So they go back to the house. And... This is another one of these parts of the films where choices happen in this film. This was written into the script. They decided this was a good idea. Rather than just going through the front window, make a scene, and state your claim, uh, Randy climbs in through the bathroom window. I still don't understand why this happened. He climbs in through the bathroom window and then you think, okay, maybe he's just trying to sneak in. Maybe he's just trying to be a bit more discreet rather than cause another scene when he's outnumbered and he's just going to go in from upstairs to downstairs. No, he climbs in through the bathroom window and then inexplicably hides in the shower. (laughs) He fucking hides in the shower for about A good few minutes off this film. Um, And then... The plan is, obviously, he's waiting for Julie to come in. It's a big assumption that she might even need to use the bathroom at this stage. Um, So he climbs in, hides in the shower. And he just spies and peeps on various comings and goings of teenagers, getting up to various hijinks. Uh, There's a couple that get it on more nips because of course there is Uh, he's listening to some uh, ladies have a conversation in which they describe jerking off as and I quote shaking hands with your best friend but real fast Um, so there if you want to adopt a new euphemism for um, masturbation there's one say oh I've just got to go upstairs and greet my friend real quick so there's a thing Um, eventually eventually Julie arrives and he and weirdly enough Julie is not shocked by this Um, she's not upset she's not um, disturbed or anxious or in any way put off by this in fact she's very much on board with it Randy eventually gets um Julie to agree to leaving the party. Um she brings along her friend with her, um and together Randy and Fred and the ladies, uh Julie and Stacy, they drive into the city, they drive into uh Hollywood to the sound of Pat Travers' song I La 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 Love You with, if anything, a gratuitous amount of location shots and billboards. Um, there's a production of An Officer and a Gentleman going on with Richard Gere, which is if anything awfully ignored. They've passed that right up. Um, but here, in between all of this, when they're driving, it's uh, clearly they're trying to make sense of like oh, Randy's a fairly big deal in this part of town, he knows a lot of the characters, he knows a lot of people in and around um, and a group of guys that they drive past, one of them does what I can only describe as a kind of sexy wiggle at him uh, just like a gesti- gesticulating hip shake uh, kind of movement, and you really have to hear this to believe it, um, he does this squawk laugh, 30 minutes and 44 seconds in, and it's not the only time he does it in the film, he does this squawk laugh, it's a real thing, it, the best impression I can, I, I can come up with, and I've been thinking about this since I watched this film last night. He goes... Ah! And I probably should have given you a headphone warning there, but it's like... Ah! It honestly sounds like someone stamped on a seagull's neck and that was the sound that came out. Um, This is another... A choice that Nicholas Cage has made, which I'm fully on board with. But you know, in the same way that in Jurassic Park, when Jeff Goldblum does that laugh like, ha-ha, and you know for, ha, and you know for a fact that the director definitely told Nick, uh, not Nick, uh, Jeff Goldblum, not to do that laugh. He's like, okay, I guess, I you know, I understand that we're in Jurassic Park and there's dinosaurs everywhere and we're taking some liberties with suspension and disbelief, but people don't laugh like that. Let's not, you know, Spielberg was like, let's not, just laugh like a normal person. And Goldblum was like, oh, yeah, oh, wow. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um And then he just went and did it anyway and Spielberg thought, you fuck, St. Goldblum, every time. And that is exactly the kind of stunt that Cage has pulled here, um, there are sounds and noises that come from this man that I know. And I've not done the testing because I I don't have the time for it. but I know for a fact no one else can do the sounds that Nicolas Cage can do and these are things that we'll touch upon in later episodes but if you've seen the video online Nicolas Cage losing his shit and or if even if you just search uh Nicholas Cage boo hoo in which we're supposed to believe that this is crying and he just goes boo hoo incredible and you start to understand that, you know, even at this point in his early career, the build-up of momentum, and this is exactly why he's an award-winning actor, and Netflix will not stop giving him films. And good on you, Netflix, for making the brave choice in this economy, in this environment, to give the people what they want. And by that I mean... I mean me. So eventually, the four of them, they go to this bar, um... It's all red lit, there's a band on. The best way to describe it is like if um a brew dog was run by vampires. Um it's got that kind of aesthetic about it. Everyone knows uh everyone knows Randy there. He's a he's a bit of a a known person there. He just goes up to these people who are sat down and he just gets them to move says, oh, the lady wants to take a seat, and they just move. They just do it. This is unprecedented. I've never seen anything like it. I don't know that I'll ever see anything like it again. You just go to a table of strangers and ask them to move, and they do it. This is the kind of world I could only dream of. Imagine that, Zane. I, I want to sit down. And this person just looks and you and is like, yeah, sounds like a fair request. Like I know, I know we're in difficult times and strange times right now. But if we can just shoehorn in the request and move, do you have any idea how much society and our life will improve? Honestly, I'm. Sw- you can't see it, but I'm smiling. I'm smiling right now. Now. Randy's also, uh, at this point, explaining to Julie quite on the nose um, about how much better his way of living is. um, How their music is better. He says that this anti Brunach is the real world. Their music is full of emotion. But one of the key points uh, in this film, another thing that is thrown into your face quite a lot, the message is it doesn't matter. The way you live your life, the way you dress, the music that you live to, um, the music that you listen to as long as you follow your heart. Because people can be different, but we're all the same. And if you take away nothing else from this, it's that people are different, but we're all the same. Um, And it would have been a bit more palatable at this point if Randy wasn't shouting this into Julie's face to say like shouting that she's programmed um that she's been built up to live in this way that's just not real because this is this is classic randy and yet if if crawling through a bathroom window hiding in a shower abducting you from a house party taking you to an environment you have no idea about and then being shouted in your face by Nicolas Cage that your entire life is wrong was not enough to put you off of this man. Make no mistake, Julie's resolve resolve will not be tested. She is not put off by this. At all. If anything, her being cussed out and just told everything she's ever known in her sixteen years is wrong um she's if she wasn't hard for him before, she was now, and because of this, when you've been explained in such a way that you have this connection, they do a kiss. They finally kiss um as do Fred and Stacy. I will also add that Stacy. Was not interested in Fred. She's made it quite clear that she finds him a creep. But they kiss as well. And it is 100% definitely not awkward. There is nothing awkward about any of the connections in this film. It's all so natural. Because in the 1980s teen romance angsty genre. Boy meets girl. And that's the end of it. There's not a lot of time for character development that's that's kind of that's kind of what I'm getting out um getting out here and then next, this is followed up by a nice little music montage of Randy and Julie hanging out. They are making plans together they're making out some more um and we're getting this progression that you know they're having a good time they're enjoying their time together and um, what we get next is a little bit more explanation on Julie and her background um, and her Julie's parents get a lot of time um, it was already explained that they were sort of products of the 60s they're quite hippie, liberal parents um, the film wants to remind you of this for no other reason than because well of course you needed to have cool parents in the 80s of course you did. You were either a square and your dad was in the army or your mother was a flower necklace wearing hippie smoking pot. There was no in between. And these are two cool parents um, and they are totally okay with their daughter being out all night tonguing Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Cage tonguing her because they're totes libs. Totes liberalis. Uh, and it is also expressed that Julie has never pulled the stunt like this before. But that's the Cage effect. This is the Cage effect. This is what he does. He he takes your daughters. He kisses them on top of some kind of lover's lane peak thing. And he'll drop them off in the morning. And you're going to be okay with it. You've got to be okay with it. Because what else are you going to do to tell Nicolas Cage that he can't make out with your with your daughter? I'm not going to look at Nicolas Cage and tell him that he can't make out with my daughter. I don't have a daughter. I have a cat. But if Nicolas Cage wants to, if that's what he's into, then I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell him he can't do it. And I know you wouldn't do it either, because you don't have the stones to tell Nicolas Cage that he can't do that with your cat. (sighs) Just imagine, like, the car rolls up. Your daughter gets out, or your son gets out. I'm not I'm I'm not gonna assume Nicolas Cage's sexuality, even though he's got a goth child. And then Nicolas Cage drops her off. I think Mom, get out. That's it, that's the rest of my child's life. At the behest and whims of the wants and needs, the wanton ways of Nicolas Cage. Now, next up, Julie and the girls, they are having a bit of a gossip during all of this. They're having a gossip during uh, Julie's driving lesson. So That's interesting. Julie's driving. Uh, The other three ladies are in the back. They're all having a gossip. Uh, The driving instructor is being completely and utterly ignored. He is... He is, I suppose, pleading with Julie to keep her eyes on the road. And do you think that you will keep your eyes on the road and you spent the night with Cage? No. Of course you don't, and it gets to the point where the instructor literally dives out of the car and no one notices. That man almost died, he could have been clipped by another car, no one gave a shit because Julie is so smitten with Randy. That is the power of love in eighty three to the point where uh, Julie described Randy as an awesome dude. Can you imagine being described as an awesome dude? And like no hint of irony. It's like, oh yeah, that you know, that guy's a you know, awesome dude. My my driving instructor's dead. Um, and there's no way I'm ever going to pass my test now or get rid of this shitty little provisional license because I killed him and I'm in some way responsible for this involuntary manslaughter but Randy's an awesome dude let's not forget about that let's not forget about what a cool guy Randy is now we go back to we go back to Beth. Don't you think we've forgotten about Beth? The plot doth continue here in Beth, uh, in Beth world, where our misunderstood secondary hero Skip is making a delivery to the residence of Stacy and Beth. Now Beth is only available. Beth takes the delivery, and she's very much wanting a dip in from Skipper. She wants a skip dip below the hip and she's giving it some lip. A skip dip below the hip, she's giving it some lip. She's very on the nose with this. She basically says to Skip Yeah, I've got a daughter and she's interested in you. Yes, I'm married. But for no other reason no established reason other than I need to give Stacy some form of dilemma in this film. I want you to raw hog me on this sun boundary in the garden. Now, Skip, I will say, he puts the deliveries first, because if anything's going to come first in this film, it's Skip's deliveries. And I applaud Skip for his restraint. You just don't see that. You just don't see a lot of that. You know he wants to, because he, Skip, and I'm going to say it, Skip was stiffler. Before Stifler was Stifler. American Pie Watch Valley Girl and they've based Stifler on Skip. Or was it Stifler? Who was the one that banged the mum in the American Pie? Probably should have googled that before I started recording. Well, Beth is Stifler's mum. That's that's what I'm getting at here. Um, that's probably the one I should have gone for. The mum who got banged and it was like a whole thing in the early 2000s, like... Uh. <coughs> oh! Now we learn that uh, Julie Lurt works for her parents at a health food store. Um, Randy goes to visit them. Now we think this is going to be a bit of a confrontation here between Randy and Julie's dad. Absolutely not. They just slap hands because they are the two coolest dudes in this film. There's no tension whatsoever. Um, Randy has a chat with Julie, asks if he can have a Coke. uh, Because if you want to know what kind of thing Randy drinks, it's a Coke. But Julie's like, oh no, I can't give you a Coke. They supported the war effort. Um... Randy's still into that. I'm still into coke. You can make a delicious drink and be slightly responsible for a few deaths as long as you're delicious. I think we can all agree on that. If Pepsi were responsible, um, even Cherry Pepsi, I hate Cherry, but they'd kill, like, some... I'm going to assume they're war criminals... I could be into Cherry in a big way. I could be raged a Cherry if I knew that they contributed to the war effort, because God bless our God bless our soldiers, right? Yeah. Um, next we get some more scenes of them, um, uh, Randy and Julie having a great time, They're kissing and smooching uh, without a care in the world, because coronavirus wasn't a thing 30 years ago. Remember when there wasn't a coronavirus? Remember when you could go outside and get toilet roll? Remember when we had hope? I remember. Um and Tommy, he's seen all this going on, he's seen them at them all, and he's not he's not happy about it. He looks a little bit sad. Tommy's sad that he's lost out to Nicolas Cage, as we all would be, before the acceptance comes into play. And at this point, Tommy Tries to weaponize Julie's friends against her. He starts um, whispering in their ear, um, and the line he uses, which is the tipping point for the for the ladies, is that a gig could scar her for life. A gig could scar her for life. Little did Tommy know that in thirty years the Marvel franchise would scar us all in one way or another. So, you know, love him or loathe him, this man was a prophet. This man knew things that we couldn't even have dreamed of. All you had back in 83 was the, you know, the after effects of Luther Igno as the Incredible Hulk. We couldn't have known about the click in 83. We had Tommy you knew. Tommy knew two things, that was that Spider-Man and the Marvel franchise was coming, and that Nicholas Cage was raw dogging his girl. And we laughed at him because he was a preppy guy. He was a jock. I think there's just I just think there's a lot to be learned from this. You can take a lot of films at face value, but if you're accepting the underlying messages, what's not being said, that's how you start getting the brain cog's turning. Am I right? I'm not wrong. I'm not wrong. Now the girls have a sleepover. Uh, the ladies are teasing Julie, saying that if you're going to be the randy, you can't go to any more parties because that was what life mattered for back then when you were of a certain age. Um, Skip calls up; he's looking for some sweet, sweet milf action, but he just gets Stacy. Uh, nothing against Stacy. Nothing against Stacy, but that's not what he wanted. Um... And now she invites Skip over. Uh, Skip says, nah, I've got some shit to do. Uh, That shit does not involve you. It involves me porking your mother. And that's sort of the end of it. Now, Julie's having some doubts at this point. The seeds have been planted. And while she's mulling this over, the subplot continues. Because the next day, Skip cycles on over to the Stacey Beth residence. He has some second thoughts. He, wheels, he does a full 360. He enters the house. He says hello, is Stacy home? He just grabs a book from the side. He's used the old uh, grab what you can see routine as an nice excuse for being there. But no response. Uh, we follow him upstairs as he sees a figure in the shower. Uh, now we don't know who it is at this point. And Skip smiles. Now this could be... This could be anyone, we don't know who he is, but drumroll. <coughs> it's only bloody Susie in the shower, isn't it? It's Susie in the shower. We had no reason to believe that he was that interested in Susie, but he's sinner through stained glass window, and he's thought, you know what? The apple doth not fall far from the bath tree, and he gives Susie a porking. A 1983, let's get down to biz Anis and that is um, effectively the subplot, that yes, the stepmother may have the gift of the gab, but the integrity of a young delivery boy will never stray him far from his true love's genitals. So if you're, you know, if you're writing your screenplay at the moment and you need some inspiration, you know, there's there's internal family conflict 101. Now going back to the main plots, uh Julie clearly conflicted. She doesn't know what to do. Does she stick with Randy, who she's got these feelings for? Does she go back to Tommy because that's what her friends want? Um And her dad here actually gives like a really solid piece of advice. He shows us some pictures of him when he had longer hair in his hippie heyday in his prime time of the uh, the 60s and he shows her these images and he says like, look um, it doesn't matter what clothes people wear, it doesn't matter the way that other people want you to be none of that matters as long as you know what you want and you follow your own heart you dig And so far, this is the most sensible thing that anyone has done in this film. Yes, you know, we're gratuitously aware that he's a hippie, but he's a hippie with a brain. God damn it. Uh, And it's actually quite a good message, if nothing else. It's a very nice message. You do you. You do you. Don't worry. If Nicolas Cage is coming at you with his score don't worry if Tommy's coming in with his curtain hair. And it is a beautiful curtain haircut. I used to have one myself when I was four. We all had one in the early 90s, if you were a guy. If you're listening to this and you were a child of the 90s, don't act like you didn't. Like you didn't have a curtain or a bowl haircut. Because we all did. But the bowl haircut... The curtains. Big tipping point here as Julie decides to get back with Tommy. Uh, now this in my opinion, not tubular, absolutely the least tubular thing that could have happened was that Cage has been denied. I didn't like it. This tested my resolve to carry on this film but I owed it to Nicolas Cage and to you to do just this. So she um goes back to Tommy uh, as Tommy just happens to walk in on her and her friends after this decision at a diner, and then Tommy just crams her hamburger down his face. Um, I don't know about you, but this one, but you know what, I'm doing a full 360 on this, you can get fucked. He don't just take a woman's hamburger. He gives her a bracelet, but a given bracelet does not a hamburger eaten make, as the old Shakespearean saying goes. Um... So, all in all, not tubular at all. Very, very untubular. Now, Randy, unaware of these developments, he goes to visit Julie. He's suited and booted, by the way. He's got a nice matching, uh, fashionably oversized suit on. And he just wants to go and hang out with Julie. She's like, oh my god, I can't believe that you never call. Then he tries to play it off. He's like, I'll go down the street, I'll use a payphone, then I'll let you know that I'm calling... Uh, Julie, very emotional, Um, says like, no, this can't work anymore, Uh, you need to leave, she's going back to Tommy, and it's an emotional breakup, and Randy, you know, getting the message, she storms off down the drive, and justifiably, I will add at this point, retorts with, and I quote, fuck off for sure, like... Totally. Let that sink in. Fuck off for sure. Like, totally. Like, fuck off. You know, sure. I want you to fuck off. But I want you to fuck off so much that the measurement of your fucking is total. In the speak of the time, this was a catastrophic blow. And I will be telling the next person that tries to steal toilet roll for me in the supermarket that they can fuck off for sure. Like totally. Now, when you're Nicolas Cage and you've taken a significant blow like this, what do you do? Where do you go? Well, we quickly find out he goes back to the anti-brew the Ugri. <coughs> Um, He gets, and I'm knocking stuff over here because I'm so emotional about, so emotional about this. He gets very drunk. He does the squawk laugh again. Uh, And then he finds his ex. Um, The assumption is that it is his ex. It's not explained. It's not, it's not highlighted at any point. Um, Who this person is, you kind of have to put two and two together to make five. Uh, we know that she's called Samantha, and we know that she was very much into Randy because she's quite keen to tell Randy and tell us the audience that Randy feels good. He feels good. Randy, you feel so good. Which is, I'm um, actually wincing. Saying that out loud. And because he feels so good. Um, And you know what? If you're just describing Nicolas Cage as feeling so good, I honestly don't doubt it. I don't think anyone doubts that. They go into a toilet, they get freaky, where Cage is in full, full raging hog mode. They get it on. Um, But Randy's not, you know, he's not completely over Julie. He immediately regrets this. And he tries to start a fight with some more people driving by in a car. Uh, He wants them to get out. But from interstage left, Fred's back. We didn't forget about Fred. Fred has saved Randy from a beating. And he's going to help him get back on his feet. Win Julie back. And so starts a little montage of plans in which he... Uh, tries his best to win her back. He leaves messages for her on the radio. He even... uh, He literally camps on Julie's front lawn like in a sleeping bag outside her window. You know, there's winning someone back and then there's walking the tightrope of getting a restraining order. It's a very fine line. Um I'm sure if you dumped someone and you found them sleeping on in your garden or on your lawn, you'd have some more questions. Julie still very blasé, I will say to Julie. Lovely girl. Very, very blasé about all of this. Um, We also get the second, the only second bit of backstory that we really get on Randy. We don't know much about him at all. Um, other than he's a cool outcast. Um, when it it is heavily implied that he works at a cinema, uh, as Julie and Tommy are going in to watch a film. Although Randy gets a a, a steaming hot, a nice oven temperature zinger that he throws in here, um, where he's wearing three D glasses, and Tommy asks him, "Is this in three D?" And Randy replies, "No, but your face is." So, 1-0 uh, to Nick Cage, I think. we 1-0 to Nick Cage on the Cage Zingers. Um, so, you know, you can take that one if you're ever in a 3D environment, tell someone that their face looks 3D, and to fuck off totally. Your 3D face can fuck off totally. And they've got nothing. They've got nothing. Their soul will cease. Now, by this point, it's prom night. Because of course it is. It's the 80s. Of course it's prom night. Uh, Josie Cotton um, is doing some songs. Now Tommy's made a reservation for him and Julie at the Valley Sheridan. Again, we're not. it's not explained what this place is. Is it a restaurant? Is it a hotel? Is it a strip club? I don't know what it is. Uh, you, we don't ever find out. Uh, now, Julie's parents see off the couple. Tom's got a chauffeur, sick so because you know he's a big deal. Uh, they go to the prom. Randy and Fred infiltrate the prom. Um, I say infiltrate. They. It's more that they just walk in and hide behind a curtain for a bit, behind some material. Um. It's not much of a plan. Randy does comment on this. He's like, well, what's the next stage? And Fred said, no, 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 next stage, this is it. This is this is simplicity at its finest. So they just walked into the prom, weren't questioned about it once. And Randy, he'd think, you know, you're, you're my best friend. I thought you might have some kind of plan here. Uh, no, there's no plan. But Randy, because he's a chill dude when he's not drunk and banging women in toilets, is completely okay with this. Uh, Now, I know you're wondering, I've said prom in the 80s, you're wondering, Daryl, is there punch? Is it in a punch bowl? Does that punch get spiked? The answer is yes! Yes! And yes, dude! Totally tubular. It gets punched. It gets spiked. We get that spiky punch. I to this day I am twenty eight years old. I have no idea what what prom punch is. I want some. I want it spiked so I can have that true perm tubular experience and be an awesome dude. Um, they don't get caught. There's a teacher dips his finger in. Um, he says it's a bit flat. They have a little sigh of relief. Hardy, Hardy, ha! Hard. Now. Julie and Tommy are moments from being announced as the Prom King and Queen. There was no indication that they were a good couple at any point up until... <laughs> any stage up until now. No indication that they were a good couple. Um, But they've been back together... Pff, a day? And now they're winning Prom King and Prom Queen? Really? I didn't win Prom King. I didn't even get a sniff or a hint of prom queen. I got told I was one of two best jokers in an award that was just to palm me and Troy off and shut us up. That's all I got. And I've got nothing to show for it since. Except this podcast, which I'm pinning all my hopes on. Because I'm definitely not redundant. Now, Randy approaches Tommy... Um, he hits him in the face. Tommy hits Randy back. They're all bruised in the face. He starts taking off his little prom belt attire thing and the weird waitery wibbly vest thing. He does a weird karate kid pose and a screamy jump kick. Um, completely unnecessary because. You would have thought from looking at Tommy that he could hold his own, but Randy, um, in possibly one of the only sensible things he does all film, he kicks Tommy in the dick. He kicks him square in the ginga and ghoulies, punches him in the face, um, takes Julie and they, they go to escape. Um, Tommy and cronies pursue. A food fight ensues. Again, because of course it does. What is a prom without a food fight and spiked punch? And then they vacate the premises of the prom. They take Tommy's car. Tommy's chauffeur, who I'm, who I have to believe has been paid to pick up Tommy, is has no questions when Tommy and uh, when Tommy doesn't turn up, and Randy and Julie get in the back, and he takes them. To the Valley Sheridan. An absolute gross injustice of power, inexplicably ignoring his own duties, just taking two miners to wherever the hell it is they want to go. Um, and then they drive off. Julie and Randy are all happy in the back of the car. Julie takes off Tommy's bracelet, throws it out the window. In, you know, an act of solidarity, Tommy's behind me, I'm casting off all of these memories, and they go to the Valley Sheridan um, as the credits start rolling and we see a highway, they go to the Valley Sheridan to, I'm assuming, fuck like absolute beasts. Just raw dog each other. Just go absolutely mental. Um, and completely soil a room in someone else's name. And that's it! That's Valley Girl! That, um You know, it's Boy Meets Girl, that classic Romeo and Juliet plot. There was no Montagues, no Capulets, no one died. There was no rhyming. Um, there was some partial nudity. Nicolas Cage fucked a woman in the toilets. He did a squawk laugh. We got a 2.5 on the Nicolas Cage Losing His Shit scale. Um, He kicked a car. And we got some nice music as well. This, as the first full film, uh, Nicolas Cage's first full leading role acting credit. It was a nice, it was very nice, it was a nice introduction. Um, Wasn't a brilliant film, wasn't terrible. Um, as a normal film, I think I'd probably give this a 4.5 out of 10. Maybe a 5 if I'm being generous. As a Nicolas Cage film, 10 out of 10, obviously, uh, because he doesn't do bad films. Um, and he's one of the few actors that if he said, Soak me off, I'd do it. I wouldn't even question it. Um, so he, this gets a bronze Cage from me. This gets a bronze Nicolas Cage um, out of a possible golden cage i do not i do not give out the golden cages often i don't give them out willy nilly uh, because i'm i'm a cage fan but i'm not a madman let's make that v-, v clear very clear right now um and the and the big message to take away from all of this is it doesn't matter how other people dress It doesn't matter how other people want you to be, it doesn't matter what music people want you to listen to, the way they want you to eat, or what they want you to drive, or what they want you to do with their lives, all that matters is following your heart and getting raw dogged by Nicolas Cage. And I think that's an amazing message to end the first episode on of Cage Rage, a Nicolas Cage podcast. Thank you very much for listening, if you have been. Thank you for sticking with me. Um, There's at least a hundred more of these to come, and I am very, very excited. Um, So until the next one, keep on, keep on caging, and I'll see you then. Bye-bye!